0: Talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we return to beer labels and branding trends as we again chat with Isaac Arthur from US design consultancy, Kodo Design. We last spoke with Isaac back in 2021, but I wanted to go back and speak with Isaac as Kodo has just released its annual beer branding trends review, which is an incredibly rich resource for the brewing industry. I don't think I'm overstating it to say that in the competitive beer market, branding is increasingly the most important element in getting a consumer to choose your beer on the shelf. And so I wanted to go back to Isaac to hear where he sees the industry is at, and where it's going, and how much it's changed from when we last spoke. Isaac is very generous with his insights, and this podcast is well worth a listen, as is reading the 2023 Trends Publication. Isaac also has a podcast and plenty of resources available on his website. You'll find a link in the show notes, of course, as well as a link to Isaac's newsletter, which is a valuable read to keep current with what's happening. And this is Isaac Arthur. Isaac Arthur from Kodo Designs, welcome to another Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. We had a great chat. God, it's going back in in the post-COVID world. It gets a little bit hard to uh, track exactly when, but it was uh, coming up on 18 months ago, we talked about all things design um, with you. And uh, you've recently released your... Beer branding report um, from Kodo Designs, and we're going to have a fairly deep dive into that. But maybe you can start for those who didn't hear the first podcast. Give us the quick elevator pitch for who you are and uh, Kodo Designs. Sure, Kodo Design is a coming up on 14 year old. I think
1: we're 14th, yeah, 14th anniversary. Uh, food and beverage branding firm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, my business partner Cody and I graduated from college on May tenth, two thousand nine. No one cares, but I'll give you the real date. Uh, we so founded Coda the following Monday. So uh, found Coda two thousand nine. Land our first brewery client in two thousand ten. We've since gone on to work with around eighty. I think it's either seventy nine or eighty uh, breweries around the country, around the world at this point. So. Beer and beverage is pretty much all we do. We are food and beverage, but mostly beer and beverage. We've written three books on beer branding. We... Uh have a popular newsletter and podcast. And yeah, this this piece that you're talking about is our annual, it, it's kind of a, a summation of all the conversations we're having with clients, with folks that we don't work with, what we see in our travels and our work in beer, and it, we kind of pool it all into these egregiously long reviews uh, to give people kind of a top line view of what we're seeing through our lens as a branding firm. So keep that in mind, everything that we're gonna talk about, at least with like as capital E experts, quote unquote, of course. Uh, is through that lens. So branding, marketing, positioning, that sort of stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I will say that the report is, I think, 18,000 words. Um, yeah, a little it's, over It's uh, available on your website. So in a 45-minute podcast, we can really only uh, skim across the surface of the pond. But uh, I will be putting links uh, to the full report because there's a lot. It's you know, what we call information dense um, in, in terms of looking at you know, so much that's going on in the world of design, but highly targeted at uh, beer and, and 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 branding trends. Thank you. Yeah,
1: appreciate it. And uh, we'll we'll shoot you up the sort of stuff you say offline, but I'll shoot you all the links and junk like that
0: too, Matt. After this <laughs> call here, <laughs> terrific. I've just uh, been at CBC, um, the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville, and uh, there was a lot of talk about. the 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 beer industry and the broader economic um industry that you know uh, forces that 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 are shaping all businesses is is that a good place to start are they things that impact on what you're seeing in design looking at the, the the broader industry trends
1: i think they impact uh branding and portfolio strategy more than design but i think we're using that term colloquially here so so yeah i think we can start there i mean it's uh it's not rosy here in the States. I'm, I'm sure it's not. I, I've listened to a few of your, your guys' recent podcasts as well. I know it's not rosy down there either. Uh, and, and that definitely is impacting everything, you know? I mean, for the new brewer, for for startups, uh, debt's more expensive to get. You know, we, we had this, I mean, looking back on it, just this remarkably verdant period of, of, of economic growth where money was handed out and, and low to no interest rates, essentially. That's changed. Uh people aren't buying beer. <laughs> people are. There's 10 things that go into this, but but consumers are shifting towards either drinking less, drinking less beer, drinking spirits. It's it's um, yeah, it's just a whole lot of things coming together at once on the heels of an already really bad period with with uh the pandemic and everything. I think on trade has not I've heard differing differing accounts. I don't know that it's returned to its previous levels. It's certainly returned to, I mean, over the last few years, it's at a high point, but I, I still think that's lower than what it was, you know, pre, pre-pandemic. So I don't know, just, just not a great time right now.
0: Mm. I, I, I guess as a business, you're both a leading indicator in some ways because you work with startup breweries and breweries in, in planning. So you've got an idea of what's coming down the pipeline. What what are you seeing? Are you seeing fewer breweries in planning, or fewer initial inquiries from businesses that are planning, wanting to get their designs done early on?
1: We're we're working with two or through two, and then we're starting another one soon. We're we're still working with breweries in planning. Uh, the the plans are definitely altered from what they were, kind of mid twenty tens. Uh, there was this this notion here in the states of. You know why why just build a 10 barrel brew house when we're going to need to you know build a 30 you know here in a couple of years so we'll just go big right out of the gate and, and that's definitely uh, the, the biggest brewery we've worked with has put in kind of a 20 barrel system or yeah 20, Yeah, mo, mo, just on brew house sizing most folks are at seven to ten barrel uh, building much even if they're planning to scale they're, they're doing it much more conservatively out of the gate uh, so that's that's one. Uh, people are building breweries in more suburban and, and kind of even exurb spaces, which is interesting. This is something we outlined. I should have reviewed the newsletter ahead of our talk, like a professional. But this is something we reviewed in our, our paths to market uh, newsletter that we put out uh, recently. Um, I think another one. This isn't necessarily breweries and planning, but it comes. It covers people getting into the industry. We're working with a lot of folks that are buying breweries. There's tons of private sales happening. You know, for every. Stone or or Ballast Point or whatever, every major uh, industry-shaking headline acquisition, uh, I I feel like there are probably dozens that are happening behind the scenes that you won't even hear about locally. Uh, And we're doing a lot of work with those groups, people that are buying breweries and then wanting to rebrand or figure out what the packaging looks like, uh, kind of put their stamp on it. So. It's it's an interesting uh, time. We're certainly seeing less inquiries from breweries and planning, but it, it, it's not like it's turned to zero. We're still getting, uh, still getting some work on that front.
0: Now, I, I, I do have to say for our listeners, you've got the full report, but then uh, you also have a series of excerpts that only went to newsletter only that weren't included in in, in, in the newslet- in, in your uh, full report. So um, some of these things I'll be talking to come from the, the newsletter. So um, I, I'd recommend everybody go and subscribe to the newsletter. Um, again, it, it, it's business, you know, you can't give away uh, everything for free. Um, sometimes uh, getting an email address is, is a good start, um, but, One of the things that you look at is full rebrand, brand refresh and packaging refresh um, as three of the things that existing businesses are looking at. Can you dig down and give a bit of an explanation for what is the difference between a rebrand, a brand refresh and a package refresh? Yeah,
1: it gets really semantic really quickly. uh, And often uh, just kind of global caveats here oftentimes a refresh will look like a rebrand and vice versa uh, i i think that in, in our mind the way we define it you know evolution versus revolution is the metaphor we, we wrote about in our uh, craft beer rebranded book but i think that if you are changing your positioning your messaging your, your broader uh, story and how you want to show up in the market i think that that is a rebrand i think that if you if you're positioning if your brand values if your brand voice if those things are are squared away you're happy with those but you just need to you know Put a fresh coat of paint on, to varying extents. I think that would be a refresh, and and that even that that line gets super blurry there. So I think it's uh, I think it's valuable to think about with your intent if you're thinking about an update. But ultimately, I think we put out a newsletter recently. I can't remember if it's recent or coming out soon. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter so long as you're achieving your goals. <laughs> it's just that uh, dorks like us <laughs> like to kind of make sure we 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 clearly define them. And then uh, I think the, the third part of that question was package refreshes. That's a That's a much more straightforward engagement. We're doing tons of those right now. Uh, You know, rebranding your company fully is expensive and it takes a lot of time and energy. It's, It's not without risk. Package refreshes are something that you could do every, I don't want to say at a prescribed date range, but you know, every so often, more often than a rebrand, certainly. And you just get those things looking shiny and special and, and jumping out from the competitive set and, and always addressing pain points because as soon as you launch something, six months later, there's something you want to change. So packaging refreshes are a, a much lighter engagement that I, I think you can really see some good ROI, though we don't have as much, we're still kind of coming out of uh the kind of 20, 21, 22 time vortex. So we don't have, you know, three years, five years, six years of data like we do, you know, kind of like, so we rebrand a brewery in 2016, we got five years of great data on uh, what that does on returns. We don't really have that right now. However, I do know that package refreshes, I from what we've seen so far, are going to be a real, if you don't do them properly, going to be a good uh, good return on your investment.
0: And I, I guess package refreshes, are, you know, a, a huge focus because, Trends change, you know. You you look at the whole hazy, um, craze. You know, we, you can't even say as we talked about last year. Um, you can't even say hazy IPA anymore because it's just hazy is a descriptor all of its own, and that's had a, a an aesthetic that has come with it in in a lot of ways as well. That has moved through, and now we're starting to see hazy go back to some of that core branding um, on on. Can't where you just sort of see hazy within a, a master brand approach. Um, how important is it to keep your, your, your packaging fresh? I think it's important to make sure that
1: you know what, pro- just if someone were, was considering an update, make sure that you understand what problem you're trying to solve. So you're not just throwing money at the problem. So packaging refresh can be really valuable if you haven't updated your packaging again. I don't want to say like a specific date range because it, it it doesn't work that way, but we just, we just refreshed ferns and brings packaging out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, as an example, they were using their original packaging that we designed for them back in 2015. So that that's going on eight years, the market evolved so much, their visual language evolved so much over time that it just felt tired. So if your packaging is something that, that you don't think adequately tells your story at a at a minimum i think it can also just look kind of boring it can look uh stayed it cannot jump out of the competitive set it, it, there's a lot of reasons for it but i think that if you know that or if you think rather that that's something that can help you solve your problems then then i think it, it should be something that you think about you also should consider whether or not a brand refresh while you're kind of under the hood working is worth considering but that's a whole other can of worms we don't need to maybe open right now
0: mm. One of the really interesting things that leapt out from Bart Watson's um, opening keynote, where he was talking about the macroeconomics, and it was it was pretty bleak. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It, yeah, it, it, you, you're opening a conference with 11,000 brewers who are all there in good spirits, and uh, even <laughs> trying to, you know, open the conference on a on, on, on a inviting note. The the some of the data was pretty depressing. But one of the things that really stood out for me was he said that uh, one bright spot um, spot for the market was seven percent average growth in sales through tap rooms and brew pubs. Um, you know, so small local um, venues seem to be a, a bit of a high point. But that was couched in data that showed that tap rooms and brew pubs that opened in 2018 showed or later. Showed growth of twenty percent, while those opening before twenty eighteen grew at two percent. This highlights the need to reinvent. Is that the same thing that you were just saying about, um, you know, brand refreshes? You know, a, a can that was designed or a label that was designed in twenty fifteen. When you look at brands that are launching now with a mod with modern, you know, a year later, a, a more contemporary um, aesthetic. Um, are going to look dated? Not
1: everyone, certainly. But I think that if you open to 2018 and you were, let's just say, very on trend at that point, I don't want to make it just about graphic design, but let's say that you were very on trend. I mean, that stuff, we you can we can go back in time and look at the 2018 branding trends review that we put out. I don't remember what was in it, but around mid, mid-2010s, there would have been a lot of bifurcated labels. I mean, it's, everything probably looks the same. And even beyond that, from a branding perspective or from a, a design perspective, a brew pub that was put around that time, I mean, they're, especially with two years of who knows what happened in 2021, 20 I mean, it, like this is tough stuff to spend money on, but... It, is your tap room inviting? Is it attractive to be in? Is it welcoming? It, are you making beer that people want to drink? Are you are you bringing in a diverse crowd or just more of the same kind of neck beards? You know, it's like, what are you doing to uh, to keep it fresh? And I think that people that are doing that well, I think they can be twenty years old and still killing it. But uh, I think a lot of people are just kind of sitting around and waiting to see what will happen. I think that's kind of my sense of what's happening in the industry. And I do want to say uh, from Bart Watson's uh, keynote, uh, Bob P said that we're, craft's best years are ahead of us. So just keep that in mind. We're, <laughs> everything's everything's just sunny and great. And uh, yeah, everything's fine. Just <laughs> not looking at the same world that I'm looking at, but hey, it's fine. It's going to be great.
0: I, I, this has got nothing to do with uh, brand and design, um, but if I have a criticism of the of the BA, they've been a booster for beer as opposed, you know, for for a long time. You know, the health of the industry is the number of breweries, yeah. um, and they've been projecting growth, you know, to go on forever. But as as you said at the uh, top of this, um, money isn't free anymore. Um, you know, we're hitting a lot of headwinds, and we're not getting that. Easy growth, um, uh, you know. Stepping out of your designer, um, as an industry observer, um, you know, do you think that we are going to see growth, and what do you base that on?
1: I think that we will see. Uh, setting the numbers of breweries, that was always kind of a, a I won't say dumb, but just very boostery. That's a good term. Uh, a metric that maybe doesn't matter, right? Uh, I think we'll boil it down to a per brewery level. There are a lot of folks that aren't profitable. And I think that you're seeing what COVID did where people would lose 80% revenue overnight. Thankfully that's coming back now, but there are a lot of businesses that were built in a different market that I don't know. We don't know what the next decade is gonna look like. I mean, I think that it still will be a lot of taproom driven stuff, but I think packaging is gonna be part of it. And as far as growth goes, I think that you're not going to see the easy organic growth for sure is going to be much harder to come by. But I think you're going to have to really fight to earn every dollar that you make moving forward. Um, and as far industry-wide, I I don't even want to make a prediction. I, I think it's going to be very tough and we'll look at a very different industry. I, bubble bursting, all those headlines and stuff like that. I don't think we're going to see a huge cratering of the, the number of breweries. Um, I don't think we're going to see a big drop in the number of breweries that are open right now but I certainly think that we're not going to see, you know, another 500 openings in, in three years. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot of a lot of breweries change hands. You're going to see a lot of roll-ups in M&A or uh, joint ventures, I guess they call them. I don't know. I, I don't know if that even answered
0: your question adequately, but yeah, it, it's just definitely a tough time right now. And more sober. It was period. a very unfair question to, to to ask when we're talking about design to talk about macroeconomics. But as somebody who lives and breathes this sort of stuff, it's it's always interesting to get a a variety of opinions from people who are scanning their own um, business uh, horizon. But jumping ahead to something I did want to talk about, but you did you did say you know brewers are going to have to fight for every dollar um, that that they make, um, and that's where. Uh, you deal with the idea of merch and and, and, and brewery merch. Um, there's a business, uh, Beer Fans, that's recently started in Australia um, that is on that pitch, is that, you know, brewers aren't just brewers anymore. Merchandise can become a significant revenue stream, and you seem to be very aligned on, on, on that thinking as well. Yeah, and we had our eyes open with a few early clients that,
1: We'd sit down and we start talking about their business. Not that we're looking at their balance sheet, but you know, you're asking, like, tell us about your revenue streams. How do you grow your business? And there are folks doing, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars in merch. You're kind of spitting out your, your beer. He's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you said half a million dollars? Like, yeah, that's just T-shirts. And, and you realize that, uh, that, not for every brewery, certainly, but I, I think that there's this idea of if you can build yourself as a lifestyle brand, and lifestyle, that's a thrown around term, it's overused. But if you can view your merch, view your brewery as, as this really cool vehicle for getting people, um, basically creating an in-group, essentially, I guess, with, with your fans and giving them winks and nods and cool ways to represent their membership within that group. I think that it's, it's fun, number one. And then if you do it well, it can be very lucrative, which in, I mean, that's good no matter what, but especially in these times, I mean, is it easier to spin up an RTD brand or put out, you know, cool shirts that, that if we're, if we're, if our goal is to drive revenue. So yeah, it's something that we've been thinking a lot about and doing more merch specific engagements recently. And yeah, I I think we're, we, you're probably referencing our recent newsletter. I think we're gonna keep writing about that and talking about it more over the the coming years. But yeah, huge Mm. missed opportunity for a lot of breweries, I think.
0: So what are some pointers? You know, when when I think of beer merch, it's basically a black T-shirt with the brewery's logo over the left chest and then a larger logo on the back and that's it. So if you know the brand, if you identify the brand, you're wearing the brand. Is that good enough for merch these days? I think
1: that's fine as a starting point. We call that the logo slap. Uh, I think that what you should do, it'd be bad radio if I pulled up our newsletter reference, I think a few high-level <laughs> high points I, I, are, I'll link
0: to it. If you, if, if you want to describe it, um, I'll link to it.
1: So That's uh, much better because I'll, I'll recall two or three. The, the top line items are, number one, if you cannot afford high-quality merch, do not put anything out. I, I think that, that shouldn't have to be said, but your merch is a direct reflection on you. I, I told the story in this newsletter of a... Uh, it, it's got to be 20-year-old bottle opener that I have from Sam Adams. It it still works. I mean, I don't use it very often because it's a bottle opener, you know, for, uh, for cans, but it's just, it's incredible that that thing's still around and kicking. So your merch is a direct reflection on your brewery. Number one, number two, I think that you should view your merch as, um, as a way to give people winks and nods and cool ways, again, not to be billboards to just, I mean, again, logo shirts are fine, but when you talk about your identity system and your broader identity system, meaning your logo system, your, your, how you represent your, your brewery's identity visually, there should be different iconography, different taglines, different winks and nods and bugs and stuff like that that you can pull out. And you can, you can print 10 different shirts with different designs and all that stuff. So that's a big one. Read the newsletter. Cause I'm going to sound like an idiot if I keep trying to recall, recount it, um, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a huge, huge fun opportunity, and people like it too. That's the other thing; people gobble this stuff up. Myself included. I was wearing brewery yeah, T-shirt earlier. It, it, it,
0: it, it's funny because <laughs> um, I've got the newsletter in front of me, and I'll again I'll link to it. But you tell you tell me what I wrote, and I will nod along, please. I, I, and you can uh, I, I expand, but the only merch that Bruce News has. Is a bottle opener because we got five thousand of them, sure. and you know now now cans and they're then irrelevant. So we actually make a joke of you know <laughs> we'll give you the Brewsia's bottle opener so you can open your cans. Um, but yeah, is a bottle opener still relevant, or is it you know um, you know are, are there other things? Oh. And for for example, I'm looking oh. at a brewery called uh, Left Field, um, oh, yeah. which as you know, Left Field is a baseball reference, and all of their like iconography, um, yeah. I, yeah, you know what I mean, um, is baseball, and it looks very much like a, a baseball team, and they've even got baseball bats. You know, should you be looking at you know leaning into your brand reference, or you know, is, is a bar blade that you know is about you know very twenty eleven still relevant?
1: No, I I think uh, the left field is a really good example because it's such a drill down thing. But I do think that you should lean into your lifestyle and positioning in terms of, of going esoteric. If you are I don't know the car brewery, there's probably that's probably a pro- problematic example. But if your uh, if your thing is cars and vintage cars, I mean, what can you do that references that? That can be keychains, that can be hood ornaments, that can be air fresheners. You know, just whatever you can think of just get beyond the the original stuff or not original the just the kind of junk that every other brewery kind of you open a catalog and you can order off page 2 try to, try to try to order off menu and think about ways you can tell your story uh, in a more fun esoteric way left field just crushes it they do a great job of that
0: I, again i'm looking at it um, and you know it's a sort of stuff that you would wear Irrespective of it being a beer brand, it's just cool-looking design. Um, again, sorry for those who are listening or you know running or driving. Um, but link in the show notes. How quickly you do talk about merch drops and creating a bit of scarcity and having you know seasonal launches, which is tough coming up with with new ideas. But then you know I compare that also with. You know breweries that are are still coming out with trucker's caps, which again, you know, sort of, you know, were were cool about fifteen years ago, and are almost a craft beer cliche these days. You know, it's trucker cap, neck beard, tattoos on, you know, blokes who whose uh, t shirt doesn't quite cover their belly. Sure, you just described me. Thanks. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're
0: not wearing a hat, are (laughs) you? My belly is hanging out. Again, there is that little bit of, um, you know, trucker caps, which everyone still has. Um, Is that dating your brand or is it selling your brand? I don't know. I think
1: if it fits your brand, I think it can work well. I think we had a point in there specifically about, like, I'm the last person you should ask for style advice. And I, I specifically called out, I mean, look to breweries who do a good job of this and... This is maybe not great for a designer to say, but I think you should look to people and just kind of emulate them or copy them a bit. I mean, if they're putting out certain hats, certain shirts, certain whatever, uh, style specifically of like hats is a great example. Just jump on that because they know more, you know, my job is not, you know, I'm either a brewer or a designer or an X or YZ. Uh, I can't know what, what's what's hip and with it. I, I haven't been hipping with it for ten years.
0: So uh, yeah. So I think just looking to looking to people that do it well. <laughs> I think you're ten years closer to hipness than I ever was. So uh, yeah. um, we're both uh, screwed. I, I, yeah. I have a uh, very coincidental relation to you know. If, if I'm uncool for long enough, then sometimes the fashion comes back in. So yeah. uh, that that's about the only time. You uh, got two two more go rounds <laughs> before it's all yeah. over. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that really st- um, stood out both in your report, um, so w- were you at CBC because when we last spoke or exchanged emails beforehand, you weren't sure whether you were going to get there? We were in Texas that week due to some bang up scheduling on my part, so no, not not in Texas or not not at CBC, not at CBC because one of the things that came out in your design report, um, that coincided with one of the big standout numbers in Bart Watson's report was, and and the way that you describe it is, um, women are drinking more alcohol than men for the first time ever. Um, So on one hand, there is this huge market that, that is growing, but at the same time, it's a market that traditionally beer has not targeted and has almost made itself repellent to in in, in so many ways. How do brands cater to that audience, I guess, or, you know, make themselves more inclusive or more attractive without also going well away from their uh, um, traditional base?
1: Yeah, this is, it's tough and we don't have all the answers, certainly. I I think that uh, one approach, a design approach that we're currently looking into so i I don't i don't even know enough to really speak about it well is gender neutral design which you probably heard that term if you haven't heard Mm it you can probably guess what it is it's just not being traditionally masculine which you know like jack daniels or harley davidson versus like victoria's secret that's a really dumb spectrum but you kind of understand what's going on there yep uh so that's one way but i think i think a more important thing a more a, a bigger cultural shift that needs to happen in the beer industry is just getting more more women involved in the and, and there's been a move to do this certainly more space to do it but get more women in the brewery get more women working in the brew house in the marketing team and, and rather than you know uh, a bunch of guys sitting around talking about how can we get you know women to drink our beer it's like well no we need to get women in our business so that, so that we represent the, the type of audience we want and so I think that that's a that's a major fundamental shift that needs to happen writ large uh, across the industry and I think is happening it, it's it's progressing but i'm not going to say whether it's good or bad or, or there yet because i certainly don't think it is but i think that's a big one um and i don't know did, is that would that answer your question i feel dense around it w- women are drinking more than ever and it's and uh, a lot of beer branding is repugnant <laughs> it's just uh, it, i mean i, I listened to a, a podcast that you you guys recorded recently about um barely legal down there i mean so, so this is an international issue uh, which doesn't make me feel better but yeah, it's just it's a it's a problem with craft beer around the world, I suppose.
0: But talking about design specifically, on one hand, you know, don't call your beer something that is offensive to a large part of the you know to to, to target a small minority of beer drinkers. Don't uh, uh, offend the vast majority of beer drinkers. Is you know one step. But what what is design? Um, you know, for for example, the the, the left field one that um, we, we talked about before. Um, just even the photos uh, that accompanied that article, it showed the merch. But then there was you know, a young woman wearing the T-shirt. Um, but then, even though it's baseball, it's very, you know, I would sort of again from a fifty-three-year-old white man's perspective, gender-neutral. It's the sort of thing that you can see somebody wearing just because it's graphically appealing, even though it does draw on some of that um, baseball iconography. Um, how how do you make something neutral? Again, I, I don't have a, a very clear answer.
1: I think the, the thing we're looking at, we're working on a, a guest blog right now. So we're actually tagging in an expert uh, in this field on gender neutral okay. design. But I think a lot of it just... I don't want to boil it down to as simple as not being traditionally aggro, you know, again, like black, heavy metal, sharp angles, because there are some women that like that sort of aesthetic. So even that, Mm -hmm. even that conversation, I feel like you just kind of start chasing your tail a bit. I think just being cognizant of of this and making sure that you have uh, people in your business that represent, again, the type of business you want to build, the type of community you want to build, I, I think is a starting point. And then from there, I don't know. Uh, not not a satisfactory answer, but here
0: within one year, I will have a, a very good answer for you on, on gender neutral design and how to do this. Before I jump into the next question, again, uh, a more of a global question for a design strategist, which I, I assume you would call yourself. You know, sure. When you're looking at applying a trend to the to, to the beer industry, how much do you have to look at? how much do you have to just see what's going on in the industry but or how much do you have to be a bit of a futurist and looking at, well, these are the trends that we're seeing, this is what people are saying about this coming generation of beer drinkers, you know, and how do we apply that to, to the brewing industry and how much do you solely limit yourself to design and how much do you limit, how much do you broaden your focus to strategy about product and product mix and those sorts of things? It's a good
1: Good question. I think that from a branding perspective, I, I'm going to draw a line between brand identity, brand strategy, and packaging here. I think that with your core identity, your core positioning, your messaging, your values, the the, the capital B brand of your brewery, I think that that's a place that you want to be more I don't want to say classic, but less trendy. You want to make that true to who you are. You want to make that something that will resonate with you for you know the foreseeable future. Whereas your packaging could be more of that uh, cool jacket that you try on for three years and then maybe you outgrow. I think it's something that you can kind of shift and change over time. So... That's, that's how we think about that, um, especially in terms of packaging versus branding. I think you have more leeway on, on that front versus you don't want a, a, a like shit hot, super trendy logo, you know, and, and your website certainly is going to be updated, you know, four or five years from now anyway, so you can be a little trendier there too. But uh, thinking about what should stay and resonate long term versus what you can kind
0: of update and change with the seasons, I think is a, is a smart way to think about that. The reason I specifically asked that and I'm trying to find it in my uh, in my notes is one of the things that you address that we haven't seen in Australia and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the thought process, but it's the variety pack. Um, so I, I hear a lot about that in the States that variety packs where you've got um, a mix of beers from a certain brewery on, on shelf um so you can go and you're not just buying a four-pack of lager or a four-pack of, um, you know, curl or Pale Ale. You've got a little bit of everything and quite often there'll be a, a one-off, um, you know, beer that you can only get in that variety pack um, to, to, to drive sales. Before we talk about the design, do, do you can you offer any insights into what... That sort of packaging um, type offers to breweries, um, or is that more of a you know a, a market strategist uh, insight? I I can offer a, a quick soundbite,
1: which is most of our clients that do it, they like to introduce new beer for to trial new beer versus we're just going to come out of the gate with this you know new Kolsch and, and go to market fully. Let's trial it and let's listen to our customers and see what happens and see. If, so it's a really there's a really good utility that way. But yeah, definitely. I I know that all of our brewery clients hate doing them. Also, (laughs) they're very challenging uh, logistically to put together to get all the the date codes to line up. I mean, uh, it's a it's a big pain. But it's it's surprising to hear that that's not a big thing in Australia because I think uh, this is more a question for Bart Watson than me. But I think that's like the third or second or third or fourth biggest selling item in craft beer and that that's weird to say an item but variety packs as a monolith uh, monolithic thing just are huge huge sellers here in the states
0: so and, and that's again um, I wasn't sure whether we should uh, even talk about the design of those because it's not a thing here um, but given brewer, brewers and marketers are listening to this podcast um, you know whether, whether we can even talk about what's driving it at, 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 at the high level um, because it might be something but I think it, this may again I don't too know too much about what's driving it in the States, but I would imagine it would actually need to be driven in Australia by, we have a retail duopoly. So we've got two major retailers that control 80% of the beer market. And if they want them, they will suddenly turn up one day through sure. their partnerships with breweries, but breweries can't drive them in, 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 in into retail. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at a another top line that
1: doesn't probably doesn't uh, reflect down there w- would be just skew rationalization, which has been happening for years anyway. But I think breweries are getting much more craven about what they put out. And variety packs again are just a way to keep offering variety when your core portfolio, which let's say twenty nineteen might have been six or eight beers, now it's you know three, and so it just it feels very constricting. Uh, and a variety pack is kind of a way around that potentially. So. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic. I think the the direction we come at is just we see a lot of variety packs called variety packs, and that just always pisses me off when I see it. I mean, it, it's a it's such a missed opportunity to, to hint at an occasion or a lifestyle, and in branded as a special thing. So, uh, yeah, take that for what you want. But all <laughs> all,
0: all Australian listeners, <laughs> you're welcome. Well, again, I can't think of. And maybe I'm showing my age, but I can't think of variety pack without thinking of. The breakfast cereal, those minis of breakfast cereal. Sure. I don't know if they, they were, you know, they were the holiday pack. Basically, when you're on holidays, it, it, your parents actually got these small things so you would get, you know, cocoa pops and and things. But in in a pack of six, there was always the special K like or the all brand that yeah. was always <laughs> sitting in, in, in the drawer. <laughs> and I, I was wondering whether variety packs are the same, whether in a six pack or a four pack of four different beers that you don't get to choose as the consumer, whether there's always going to be one that's a bit of a dog that just sort of sits in the in the fridge. I think historically that kind of has been the thing
1: or the way. And I I think that I think the smart breweries are moving away from that. I think what what we're seeing a little bit of a shift now, this is as as a consumer, we're not seeing this in our project work, but just as Isaac is a beer drinker here, we've seen just really uh, eye rolling, just nothing but all hazy pack uh, variety packs, which, you know, those all taste identical. Uh, So we're we're starting to see variety packs that actually offer different varieties of beer styles now, which is how they used to be made. I I think the the most iconic one that I could think of is just Sam Adams has put out variety packs for years. I mean, when I first got into craft beer as a 22-year-old, we were buying Sam Adams variety packs and there'd be a, a Bach, you know, what the hell is a Bach? And there'd be an Amber Ale, all this stuff. And and we're seeing a return to that where people are like, you'll have a Pilsner and a Porter and a Hazy and a, just weird styles. It, sound, it sounds weird, but it's just a variety of beer. And that's kind of, we're starting to see that come back now, which is interesting and not enough to call it a trend because I've only seen a couple, but I'm, I'm maybe confirmation bias on my part, but I think we're going to start seeing more of that over the, the next year or so
0: so just moving ahead to the question that I I think I um, I didn't deliberately spring on you when we when we spoke last time but talking about uh, sort of marketing an adult drink in, yeah. in 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 a way that could inadvertently because I don't think anyone actually does target children um, but could be a appealing to children um, by extension. And um, very generously, you you referred to it in in your newsletter, um, but then also uh, said that you didn't think that your answer was, uh, I think, I felt like it was an unsatisfactory answer, because I'd kind of sprung it on you. 18 months later, when you had the chance to pause and reflect on it, what is your thinking around how do you keep beer design fun, um, engaging and, you know, a- a- attractive without it- inadvertently straying, you know, straying into that, um, you know, could appeal to children. I don't know. And this was a
1: maybe kind of hemming and hawing philosophically. But in that email, I think that anything could be, pers- I mean, hell, this can here that we were talking about this, this lime green can. My daughter always tries to steal this. Yeah. Hop water. I'm drinking a hop water right now. And there's no alcohol in this obviously, but my daughter always steals these cans for me. Like, so they, so from an alcohol, let's say this was alcoholic because we also have cider in the fridge, which looks similar to this. Are we not allowed to use lime green on label design anymore? You know, I mean, so so that's really challenging. I think the the although the that's lime, non-alcoholic, isn't it? That the, the hot
0: water you are drinking is non-alcoholic. This is, and,
1: and that's a bad example. I should have I should have uh, used. A, we have a, a cider which looks very similar to this, funny enough, uh, in our our fridge right now. But I think the the line that we drew because philosophically. I don't like the idea of, of telling people what they can and can't, like aesthetically, what they can and can't make their mm. stuff look like because where where does it, let's take this to its natural progression. Can we, if it appeals to kids and that's the line, we can't do that. our fruit illustrations out? Because that's, that's 50% of the industry. Our bright colors out? That's the other 40%. I mean, hell, I, I collected uh, Budweiser cans as a child.
0: In, in Australia, the answer to that um, largely is yes because of this, Um, And and ironically, the code that the industry has drawn up, the voluntary code that the industry has drawn up, it gets very complicated trying to decide between which colours and which fruits and how they're designed on on a label. But by and large, there are some colours and having fruit on the label should be avoided because the finding has been uh, against them. And yet the lobbyists who are against alcohol that describe, you know, that as grooming of younger drinkers, because they don't actually think it's inadvertent. They actually think it's a deliberate ploy to groom young drinkers, um, still think, even though the industry has drawn a much harder line than you're talking about, they still think that the industry is somehow, um, that the industry code is somehow toothless and weak. Um, So it is, it's, it's a really hard question.
1: Yeah, and that—that's why when we put together that when we finally sat down to tackle this problem, I, I just drew a line between that because that—that's I—I I don't I'm going to repeat myself. I think that's harder to answer, but th- something that has emerged in real time since our conversation was. Um, just these traditionally non-alc brands launching direct alcoholic or spiked brand extensions. So Hard Mountain Dew, Sunny D with vodka is an absurd one that came out recently. I don't know that anyone that drinks Sunny D that isn't a child. Uh, Simply Spiked, Fresca, Monster Energy has one, Arizona Har- hard, hard Tea, Hard iced Tea. Th- that becomes a, a much more interesting conversation. I mean, that's related to the, this question because uh, again, I, to your point, I don't think anyone's twirling their mustache going, yeah, we're going to get these, you know, 12 year old kids to drink our product, but opening a fridge and seeing, uh, we'll set aside the issue of a child drinking a monster energy drink, but like a child that has drank monster energy before seeing a uh, monster energy can spike, whatever it's called, release the beast, I think, or the beast released. It's a, Seeing that would be very easy to grab and, and make the mistake. Same with Jack and Coke. Same with the Fresca. All of these things. So I think that the the solution that we offered up, rather than just poking holes at it, was that uh, it, from a brand architecture perspective, these products are all brand extensions. Uh, obviously, they're they're so this brand in a new category. You do that to leverage that that brand equity. That's why you would do it. But I think that the, those products need to be moved more to the right on the beverage brand architecture uh, continuum, which means nothing to anyone because we haven't even introduced this <laughs> topic yet to our listeners. But move from a brand extension to more of an endorsed brand. So what you're trying to do is put more visual distance between that parent brand's aesthetics and this new product. I think that's a happy medium or at least a compromise, that a first step compromise that, that will put more distance between uh, you know, this Coke can looks like a Coke can, but it still reads as being from Coke. But a child won't grab it, and that doesn't that doesn't do anything with teenagers because teenagers are going to drink this stuff regardless. I don't. I think that's just policy and education on parts of parents to to prevent that stuff. But for children mistakenly grabbing the products, I think that's the best that we can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I I think one of the criticisms is again it's this idea of grooming that you're making alcohol look invited even, even if they're not reaching into the fridge and drinking it while the parents they're making it attractive and building that sort of latent desire to, to drink that and I mean that is a huge you know how yeah that, that goes beyond design issue there's a whole lot of social um, conditioning and uh, th- things that have nothing to do with design but uh, you, you did raise the question of hot water now that's something that um I've written about, and I've actually written about quoting your thoughts about it. Um, In a world where people are drinking less um, alcohol, supposedly, they're also much more conscious of um, things like carbs and calories, which is driving a whole category of drinks. To me, hop water, um, you know, sits very nicely at the center of some, some big trends. And if I'm finishing the lawn mowing and don't want to um, consume alcohol, but want some of those refreshment cues that a beer brings, Hop water seems to um, play with me. Are you seeing, you know, you, you wrote saying you were starting to see a lot of interest in hot water. Has that come to fruition? I think that we're still,
1: I mean, we've been talking about it, for a couple of years now. I think this is a big year for Hopwater, this and maybe the next year. Uh, I think people are starting to, from a consumer standpoint, I think people are starting to understand what it is. I think there's still a lot of, I won't even say confusion. I just think that a lot of people, consumers don't know that this product exists. But I I think that for all the value props that you outlined, um, specifically as a, and I've been criticized by framing this specifically as a a non-alcoholic alternative, I still think that's that's the best use case if you don't want beer, but you don't want to drink an NA beer. I agree. I, it really scratches that itch for me. But uh, I think that a lot of people just are learning what it is. And we're seeing interesting, uh, not in our market, but I'm, seeing, I'm watching folks on Twitter kind of post photos of it, uh, of retailers figuring out where this lives. Does it live beside NA beer? Does it live beside LaCroix, you know, mainline like Polar and stuff like that? Uh, and I think that, that that's gonna be the that's gonna be the thing that determines whether or not it, it catches on and, and this is a, this is a major, major trend and category five years from now, or it just kinda of fizzles out and becomes this this small thing. I, I still think it could be huge, but it's to be determined, I think, right now for sure.
0: Again, we've jumped a little bit all over the place. It's, it's, it's a conversation. So I followed the conversation as opposed to uh, going through a, an ordered list of questions. But is there anything that you want to talk about? Anything that we, any of the big trends from the 18,000 words that you've uh, um, written about that you really would like to uh, bring to people's attention that I haven't touched on? One very large thing that we're seeing right now that that kind of
1: overarches everything. Uh, So this is bad economic uh, headwinds. This is portfolio strategy. This is a constricting beer environment uh, industry. Um, Is the creation of of sub brands and specifically breweries looking to find growth within their portfolio? This is this is something we could have spent the entire hour talking about this. I mean, most of our work right now even when we're rebranding a brewery or whether we're doing a Beyond Beer product or even just a beer product we're helping breweries spin up brands within their portfolio and and that's a very interesting thing we wrote about that a lot in the 23 trends review we actually have a series coming out a three-part series called sub brand summer (laughs) which sounds dumb saying out loud uh but uh (laughs) that's coming out in july We're we're gonna we're gonna be taking a look at, at why that's such a pervasive strategy right now the different types of sub brands you can build and then uh how to actually build a sub brand and yeah, that's just that is the biggest. I mean, it's it's almost as big, if not bigger, than rebrands right now in terms of our our uh, our workload. We're we're just doing so much brand architecture work, and I'm using sub brands. This is way in the weeds, but sub brands or endorsed brands. The form doesn't necessarily matter as much as just helping breweries build brands within their brand. And so, big examples that that listeners will be aware of uh, would be like Voodoo Ranger. So New Belgium. Uh, as a parent brand, Voodoo Rangers, far you know, Voodoo Ranger has four or five brands within their portfolio that are top you know twenty craft beer selling yeah you know, like on their own like uh, by volume brands. So that's what breweries are looking for. We're doing this with small breweries that have been you know breweries that are making three to four thousand barrels a year. We've got clients that are making seventy to a hundred thousand barrels a year that are doing it. I mean, it's just it's all levels of beer and it's really really interesting. And I think that. I'm still formalizing my, my thoughts on this. So I'm I'm going to not, not maybe we can talk about it next 18 months from now. But uh, I think that this is really indicative of of how tight the market is too. Breweries are looking for growth. It's really hard to form a new business entirely. Uh, so we can, under the wing of our parent brand, spin up a new brand, whether that's a hop water. It's kind of, it's it's uh, category agnostic. It doesn't have to be a beyond beer thing. It can be a beer line too. But this is just a very interesting thing that we're seeing All the time, right now, that that we did not touch on in our conversation,
0: which again, you know, I'm very conscious that sometimes I delve into the philosophy behind the 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 concrete topic that we're talking about. But things like Voodoo Ranger um, and and its success seem to be one of those things that is very much lightning in a bottle. You know, it's they've done the right thing, executed it well at the right time, and all of those things needed to align for it to happen. But, you know, do you have any thoughts about what's made Voodoo Ranger? Because clearly it's, you know, um, New Belgium was very well known for, uh, you know, Fat Tyre and Braille and some of the craft beers that were pioneering at the start of the craft beer movement. Could they have launched contemporary beers under their uh, core brand or did they have to have this Voodoo Ranger design? That modernized the appeal and the offer, and uh, you know, appealed to an audience potentially that um, New Belgium itself didn't.
1: Yeah, I, I think you you're right on it uh, credibly. I don't think New Belgium could have targeted a 22 year old IPA drinker, uh, it, it, for the legacy brewery specifically, you look at Sierra Nevada with Little Thing. Though Sierra Nevada holds a, a special spot, is, is there uh, on their own island, but. I think that New Belgium absolutely could not have. Uh, and, and but at their scale, the reason the Voodoo Ranger just did what it did is New Belgium's one of the best run breweries on the planet. They have a huge distribution network. They have amazing QC development. They have scale. You know, they have money to throw at brand development and, and field activation, all this stuff. So uh, they they did everything. We don't work with them, so I want to make sure it's it's not like we're taking credit for this. But but it's just yeah they they. They did everything. They're they're driving trends too. I mean, I think that in a lot of ways the uh, another trend that we didn't talk about is, is imperial IPAs. Bizarrely, we're talking about hop water and NA products, and then you know nine point five percent beers, uh, oftentimes in, in stove pipes in large formats. So they're just they're driving trends and taking chances, and, and really the whole industry is kind of chasing. I mean, Cody and I joked for a couple of years on our podcast that before we started kind of breaking down what a sub brand was people would come to us and say we want to do what what New, uh, voodoo Ranger did and what New Belgium did so we need like a cartoon for our can and we're like that's not that, this isn't <laughs> this that's not how that that's not what that is like <laughs> there's there's more to that than that and uh yeah it, it's it's been remarkable to watch and we're, we're watching a lot of people kind of follow that that path not by putting cartoon skeletons on their labels but by brand building within their portfolio and making really smart um, uh, style choices that are on trend uh, to to credibly move into the younger audiences or whatever audience it is doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be a younger audience.
0: Isaac, thank you for you know sort of taking a you know a, a, again. I still feel that we've been very superficial in a topic that you could any one of these we could have. Dived into very, very, very deeply, but again, there is eighteen thousand words that people can read, and then a series of newsletters. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll put a link to subscribe to the to your regular newsletters as well. But um, Isaac, thank you very much for joining us uh, and you know, giving us some insights into you know what's happening in the world of beer design. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it, sir. And that was Isaac Arthur from Kodo Design. As I said, you'll find a link in the show notes to the 2023 Beer Branding Trends Review, his newsletter and podcast, The Beyond Beer Handbook, How to Design Better Beer Merch, uh, which was a post in his newsletter, and much more really great content. Now, if you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think that Radio Brewers News is the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that you know that the industry listens to. And now, more than ever, you should be investing your marketing spend in media that gets results. You can just ask businesses such as Rallings and Bluestone Yeast about the reach and the impact that our podcast advertising has. It also helps us to make sure that we can keep doing what we do for the brewing industry. If you'd like to find out more, shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. We'll be back later this week with our latest wrap-up of the news with our insights, and we look forward to joining you then.